This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I go to the city website, I like type it in, and they're like, Pittsburgh is a village. And I'm like, okay. Let's go so wait, <laughs> do the people that live there, are they the village people? <laughs> or not? Dad joke. You know how sometimes I tell a lot of dad jokes? Yeah. Well, I realize I'm not a dad. I'm like a faux pas. <laughs> Stop it. Welcome to an episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. Okay. We should talk about... I knew what you were going to say. The Patreon. I knew it. We should. We have forgotten. We keep forgetting to talk about it. But we do have a Patreon that I would like to let all of you beautiful listeners know about. It's over there at Who Patreon. Who hasn't signed up yet? Who is it? Tell me. Who is it? Who's, <laughs> who's listening right now and hasn't signed up? Why? What are you waiting uh, for? <laughs> Patreon.com slash True Crime Creepers. Over there, you can find bonus content. So every month, we put out a bonus episode. And that's whether we're taking a break or not. We're still putting out bonus episodes every month. And you also get a shout out on the podcast. And then if you bump up to the $7 level, you get uh, all of that. Plus you get a card with our autographs and a sticker. And you get two mini creeps every month, which are shorter episodes, usually 20 to 30 minutes. But sometimes we have some like 45 minute (laughs) mini creeps. We chatty. We can talk on different things. And then we have a $10 level that gets you all of that plus 20% off merch and ad-free episodes, sometimes the evening before, sometimes the next day, because I totally forgot to put it on the Patreon last week. (laughs) And somebody had to be like, hi, that's not there. And I was like, oh, my God. Thank you to that loyal patron. Yes, thank you so much. So anyways, there's our Patreon. And go check it out. Yeah, you should. Okay, so ready to get right into this episode. Big thanks to Wendy for suggesting this case. Wendy! She actually had a per- yes, she actually had a personal connection to this case, and she said she hadn't heard many podcasts cover it, and I hadn't heard of it before either, so here we are. Wait, you're also, a true crime newbie too? <laughs> with this one, yeah, I hadn't heard this one before. Also, a big thanks to an article in Medium by Deborah Halber that was really helpful, and reporting done for the Democrat and Chronicle, the local newspaper in Rochester, New York as well as to an episode of Dateline called Devil's Bathtub. Ew. I just talked to some people from Rochester at, you know, I did the hotel hiatus this weekend. Where I just like put myself up in high. Well, it was the most wonderful thing ever. But there was a biker convention. I don't know if that's the appropriate term. A motorcycle convention at the hotel I Uh was staying at. 
very lovely humans I they sat at the bar I went down and had myself I know a I watched Sons of Anarchy religiously oh I never did <laughs> but they uh were, there was a bunch of them from Rochester and they were talking oh. to me so what was this uh little staycation that you had what did you do oh what did I not do I went for a little dip in a heated pool I did some yoga I did some meditation I journaled I read I did a bible study I took four showers with very intense water pressure. I had sangria and champagne. I had Tres Leches pancakes. I had oh, myself oh. a damn day. Okay. <laughs> was it just one night or was it? Did you? Yeah, I was going to do two. Basically, I was telling Russell, I was like, and every, listen, everyone that's part of his fan club, you can renew your membership because <laughs> I was like, I feel very overwhelmed. I need to take a vacation. But a vacation feels overwhelming. And we don't have, we can't be spending money on vacation. We got to plan a wedding. And I was like, I just need to go somewhere that's not this house. Because when I just try and relax on the weekends here, I can't. I got laundry. I got like chores. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm distracted. I was like, I just need to go somewhere else. <laughs> and he's like, well, I can make that happen. Which is probably what someone would say before they off somebody, which is terrible. But he was like, <laughs> I can make that happen. So he put me up in a suite in the downtown Marriott just by myself so I could have some relaxing time. He said he was going to do two nights, but he would miss me too much. So I got one. I was like, oh, yeah, me too. I'd miss you too. No, I really would. But I made the most of it, let me tell you. That's amazing. I'm so happy for you. It was wonderful. Well, now that you're rested and relaxed and rejuvenated. You're going to ruin it all. It's, it's time for me to tell you about the murder of Craig Rideout. Mm. Craig Rideout was born and raised in a village near Rochester, New York called Pittsford. Not of, Pittsburgh, like I kept thinking that they were saying. Pittsburgh. A village? Why, this is what like the gonna... second time we've referred to like a town as a village. It feels weird to me. Uh, I know. And that's what they, that's what they are. Pittsburgh is basically the definition of wholesome country charm. It's right along the Erie Canal. Lots of beautiful scenery. Craig was born 18 months apart from his sister Robin to parents Dick and Agnes who went by Nessie, which I'm only throwing in there because I think it's the cutest thing. Yeah, that was probably The cutest nickname for Agnes, <laughs> Nessie. Dick was a World War II Navy veteran who worked for Kodak, and Nessie was a travel agent. Mm -hmm. Craig went to Union College in Schenectady, where he majored in economics, and he joined an alcohol-free fraternity. And according to his best friend, Paul P.J. Tucci, Craig was a very personable guy, the type that you just couldn't help but like. Craig graduated in 1988, and he started working for a financial services firm as a computer programmer. A few years later, while out at a bar in Rochester, he met Laura Assam, A-S-A-M. I'm not totally sure how you say that. She'd grown up in Syracuse, and she went to college in Buffalo before finding herself in Rochester, and she and Craig just hit it off right off the bat. Craig's sister, Robin, said that they were enamored with each other. Hmm. They got married in January of 1993, and nine months later, they had their first son, Colin, and they bought a four-bedroom house on six acres in Pitford, and Craig started volunteering for a Catholic ministry and a youth group, and life was pretty good. Yeah, that all sounds very white picket fancy. Yeah, but then they kept having kids. They'd end up with seven <laughs> of them. <laughs> But then they kept having kids. <laughs> they kept having kids. 
They'd end up with seven of them, three girls and four boys. And there's no reason you need to know this, but I feel like inundating you with seven names. So from oldest to youngest, oh, good. it's Colin, Alex, Andrew, Elizabeth, Julia, Patrick, and Madeline. Those are like, there's not even one that stands out because they're all like the most yeah. popular <laughs> white names from whatever year this is. Right. So their house was always just complete chaos, but they learned to embrace it. The kids were all smart and hardworking, good kids, and Craig and Laura loved being parents. But it wasn't all good. Several of the pregnancies had been really difficult, requiring Laura to be on bed rest. And as expected, seven kids really put a strain on their finances and also on their marriage. Robin said that Laura never believed that they were in any kind of financial difficulty. She thought that Craig was hiding money. And I'm like, girl, you got seven kids. And it's yeah, all on one income. Thing? Like, she's not working. And you think that he's hiding money? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. They were actually on the verge of bankruptcy. And they ended up having to downsize their house. And problems continued in the marriage. Mo kids, mo problems. Am I right? <laughs> The way Craig decided to deal with these problems was to shut himself off in a room and play role-playing video games for hours and hours. Laura's way to deal with the problems was to isolate herself from Craig's family. Like, there were holidays where Craig would show up with a couple of kids because Laura just didn't want to go and would keep some of the kids behind with her. So she would, like, get a hotel in downtown and just stay there by herself? (laughs) No, she'd stay at the house with a few of her kids. The inevitable came in November of 2014. After 21 years of marriage, Laura Rideout filed for divorce. No one was really surprised. It had seemed like a pretty long time coming. What was surprising, though, was where Laura went. She moved out of the house that she and Craig had shared, and I'm pretty sure immediately moved in with and became romantically involved with PJ, Craig's best friend, Hmm. PJ Tucci, whose wife Jennifer had just died like three months earlier from a long fight with liver disease. What? Yeah. So Jennifer dies in like August. Wait. And then in November, Laura files for divorce and moves in with PJ. Jennifer dies. Jennifer, PJ's wife. Oh. Sorry. No. Say it one more time. I'm sorry. So PJ's wife, Jennifer dies in like August of 2014. Right. And then in November, Laura Rideout files for divorce from Craig, moves in with PJ. Hmm. Hmm. In case you didn't hear that the first hmm. time. Hmm. Uh, hmm. That's hmm. interesting. Muy interesante. Oh, look at that, Espanol. <laughs> at first, Craig didn't want to believe that there was anything romantic going on. But according to PJ, and I think this is like kind of before the move in, Mm-hmm. But according to PJ, Craig ended up sending an email to him that was like, I don't know what's going on with you two, if you've just found yourself in a damsel in distress situation, or if there's something romantic going on. But either way, I'm happy. And I'm like, PJ, I'd like to see that email. I'd yeah. sure like to see it. <laughs> uh, PJ, could you see see me on that email, please? PJ, could you forward that to me? Just click that little arrow that's oh. pointing to the right. The article in Medium said that if it bothered Craig that his wife had moved in with his best friend of several decades, he barely showed it publicly. 
But I mean, come on, it had to bother him. Like, even if you have no love left for this person, even if you don't even really like yeah. this Aren't person just at this like, point. Why? Like, I'm just like annoyed. Yeah, right. And like, you still have history with that person. And that's still your best friend. And yeah. it's like immediate. It wasn't even like a couple of years later and maybe you could come around to it. It was like, bam, out one door and into his. Yeah, that's weird to me. Yeah. Their oldest, Colin, was – but I guess when you still share kids, like, you, I guess, try to be the bigger person. Like, right. I don't know. I mean, I, know, I understand, and their like, co-parenting were, and stuff like that, but still. Right. And their families were, like, v- had always been very close. Like, they had four kids of their own. PJ had four kids of his own. Mm. And they were really close with Craig and Laura's kids. You know, they'd grown up together. They were basically, mm-hmm. like, the Brady Bunch with 11 kids. Right. Between the two of them. So Craig and Laura's oldest son, Colin, he was away at Maritime College in the Bronx working to become a Navy SEAL when he got the news of his parents' divorce. And he decided to put that dream on hold and move back to Rochester to help out his mom and make sure his siblings were okay. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Colin, there's a full house there. Like, they're fine. But he came back. He moved in. <laughs> With the divorce, there obviously came issues with the custody of the kids. Colin was already in college, and Alex and Andrew, I believe, had also already graduated high school. I'm not totally sure. So they weren't really in consideration when it came to custody. Then there were the two oldest teenage girls, Elizabeth and Julia, and they were allowed to decide who they wanted to live with, and they chose to go with their mother. Mm. So the problem came with the two youngest kids, Patrick and Madeline, and they were around 10 and 4 at the time that they filed for divorce, if my math is correct. Mm -hmm. And so Craig – okay, some places said Craig had custody of them, but I think it was shared custody. They, like, would switch back and forth. Like, Like they both had time with them. Yeah. So now Craig is like this single dad and he starts turning to his sister Robin for advice since he no longer had a partner in parenting. And Robin and he had kind of grown apart through high school and then this kind of brought them back together. They started talking every single day. Robin had four kids of her own and they were now closer than they had been through Laura and Craig's entire marriage. Hmm. This divorce dragged on for two years and it actually got pretty nasty to the point that the custody order actually stated that Craig and Laura were not to interact when they met to exchange the kids. So like almost like a restraining order, but not. Yeah. Like you're not like you can like drive up to the curb, drop the kids off, wave goodbye and watch as they walk in the house. I mean, I don't know. I just think that's really sad when you can't interact. It's sad for the kids. Yeah. The divorce was also not very beneficial to Laura, who was not going to be receiving any sort of alimony or child support from Craig, since I guess they both had, like, primary custody of two of the kids. And but wasn't Craig she not working? No, she was not working. So I don't know why he wasn't having to pay alimony or anything like that, but I don't know. It looked like Craig's attorney was working out some sweet, sweet deal, and he wasn't going to have to pay her anything, is what an article I read said. And then Craig kept complaining to his attorney about things that Laura was doing, like she'd miss schedule pickups or she'd just show up unexpectedly. These, I feel like, are very common complaints when people are going through a divorce with custody. She was having Colin drive Patrick and Madeline to school and to their appointments, which I guess Craig had a big problem with. And then one time she just came and just dropped all four kids on Craig's doorstep. 
one of the teenage daughters ended up throwing like a fit about this and she went on a rampage in the house. She was punching holes in the wall. Oh my gosh. She started breaking dishes. She even shattered a light fixture. And then his home computer just like mysteriously disappeared. Robin said that Craig was really stressed out with all of this. But by 2016, he was seeing light at the end of the tunnel. He's like, this will be be finalized soon. (laughs) Yeah. But then over the summer of 2016, things got worse. Craig had recently moved into a townhouse. And one night, an intruder dressed all in black came into his bedroom and plucked a hair from his arm. <gasps> okay, and then just left. First of all, <laughs> that is the worst place to pull it because men with a plucked hair are such babies. I oh, know he woke up fa- to that uh, of pain. Course. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> That's yeah. not where you pull from. Why wouldn't you? I don't. Well, he didn't have much hair just on like, his head, as I was going to say. Yeah, but like bring some scissors. Like clip it. Like Well, then you don't sh- get. No, then you don't get the root. And oh, that's where the DNA ooh. is. I don't know what they were planning on doing with this hair. Well, we know who it is. Well, Craig suspected that it was his son, Colin, maybe just like playing mm. a prank. Because when they came in, they plucked that hair from his arm and then they just left. And the next morning, Craig found his house keys were missing and he found them in a neighbor's potted plant <laughs> and also his blackberry had been stolen oh blackberry and, yes yeah. <laughs> yeah and craig and this is 2016 okay there's truly no excuse yeah to still have a blackberry. i mean i even i even had an iphone so <laughs> right and i and i had a pager when everyone had blackberries so right 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 <laughs> good craig wasn't sure who it was but like i said he he was pretty sure it was colin and because his BlackBerry was stolen, he ended up reporting it to the police. But even in the 911 call, you can tell, like, he doesn't really want to be reporting this yeah. break in, you know, like, but he ah. did. Right. Six days later, six days after this break in, on July 20th, 2016, Robin was trying to get a hold of Craig. At this point, they were speaking every single day, and Robin thought it was very strange that he wasn't answering any of her calls at work or at home. Like, even if he was busy or in a meeting, he'd always answer his phone and just, like, let her know that he couldn't talk, or he'd call her back as soon as he could. And when she called his work and asked for him, they told her they'd gotten an email from him the night before that said, quote, My daughter remains ill. I may not be able to answer the phone as I will probably be taking her to the doctor's office. What? This sounded so weird to Robin. Craig wasn't a formal kind of guy. He wouldn't say, my daughter remains ill. He'd say something like, my daughter is still puking. Yeah. (laughs) She said puking. God. But something something seemed wrong. And so she decided to drop by his townhouse on her lunch break. And when she got there... She was very surprised to see Laura was there. Not just surprised. She said later that the feeling of dread that she had in that moment, seeing Laura standing in Craig's kitchen in his townhouse, still makes her heart pound. She knew the custody order forbade Laura from even being there. And yet here she was in the kitchen, just wiping down a countertop. Wiping it down. So she's not only is she mm-hmm. there, but she's there cleaning. She's cleaning. I'm cleaning no I'm cleaning no ex man's house, okay? <laughs> Laura told Robin that she was there because she was also looking for Craig because she'd gotten a text from one of the younger kids that morning 
that said that when they'd woken up, their dad had been gone. It was Craig's night with the kids. And so Laura had sent Colin over to get the kids, but she'd stayed behind at the townhouse to clean up because the kitchen smelled weird. Like I said. Wait, I'm getting confused on the names again. Colin is the oldest. Robin's the mom. Robin is the sister, Craig's sister. Oh, sister, Laura, not Craig's mom. Okay, sorry, Craig's sister. Sister, that's yeah, right. yeah. His his mom's name is Nessie. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't really come up in this again, but... <laughs> <laughs> but we just like the name. Well, we just like the name. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine, but the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. So Laura, the ex-wife, showed the texts, these texts from her kids, Mm -hmm. to Robin. But the text had come from Alex's phone, one of the older brothers, like the second oldest brother. And so Robin thought that was kind of weird. And Laura said that that was just because Patrick, the youngest son, was using an old phone of Alex's, which I think did turn out to be the truth because Patrick did write that text message. But 
Oh, Robin's that definitely suspicions. happens, like passing down the phones like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Weird that you wouldn't update the contact in your phone to say yeah. Patrick, but Robin's suspicions were definitely raised and she was on the verge of a full on panic. But she played along like she was buying Laura's story, like nothing really seemed out of the ordinary. Robin decided to take a look around the townhouse and she noticed that all three pairs of Craig's shoes, so I guess she only knew him to have three pairs of shoes, and all of them were lined up neatly near the front staircase, which was really worrisome. Like, Yeah, because it was lined up neatly, because that is worrisome to well, me. That just seems out of Well, play. and that they were all there. Like, if Yeah, he's and gone, lined up neatly, though. I'm just saying. What shoes is he wearing? Then when she got upstairs to his bedroom, she found that the bedroom door was locked. And her first thought was that something had happened to Craig and that he was in that bedroom, but she couldn't get into it. So she and Laura left at the same time. And Robin said that Laura seemed rattled. She took a bag of trash out of the house with her. What's in the bag? What's in the bag? I don't know. And I, oh, I don't you know. know. Well, I might know, but <laughs> I don't know. And <laughs> bags of trash do come up later. But then... This is weird. She got into the passenger side of the car and then she climbed over to the driver's seat and then she drove off. And I don't have any explanation <laughs> for that. <laughs> God. Robin didn't really know what to do. And I can see like you want to talk yourself out of calling 911 mm -hmm. because that feels like something bad has happened if yeah. you're calling 911. And nothing bad has happened. Craig's going to show up like – it's all going to be fine, and I'm just panicking for nothing. Like, that's what I would be telling myself. Yeah. But you shouldn't. And she ended up going back to work, and she told her boss about what was going on. And so he told her to call Craig's attorney, his divorce attorney. And so she took his advice, and she told the attorney what had happened at the townhouse, and the attorney told her to call 911 and tell them that Craig was missing. And Dang. so she did. Yeah. That's, like, pretty quick to, like – Mm -hmm. report him missing mm -hmm. i mean like we just don't know where he's at, at a the couple moment. of hours yeah yeah mm -hmm. so she called 911 and you can tell on this call that she's worried enough to place the call but she's really trying to downplay it like mm -hmm. she's trying to convince herself that she's probably just overreacting she tells the dispatcher that she could be making a mountain out of a molehill but that her brother had not been answering her texts emails or calls and she wanted the police to look into it and you think that I'm going to tell you that the police told her that she needed to wait 24 to 48 hours yeah, because he's a grown man and he was missing, mm -hmm. but he just hadn't answered his sister's phone calls. They didn't. They arrived at the townhouse within pretty quickly. Which is impressive because I really do think like not answering your sister's phone call is like the MO of a normal brother. Right. But they had a reason that we'll mm -hmm. get to later. The police arrived at the townhouse. They spoke to Robin. Uh, who wanted them to go upstairs right now and break down that door to Craig's bedroom and yeah. make sure he's not in there. But they told her that they need a warrant to enter because it was Craig's private property. Mm -hmm. And while the police were still there, Laura came back to the townhouse with the two youngest kids, Patrick and Madeline, and she asked the detectives what was going on. And she told them that Craig had been home when she dropped the kids off the night before. And that she just didn't know what to think about all of this. So crazy. So crazy. Yeah. So the police talked to the kids. Uh, at this point, Patrick's like 12 and Madeline is six. Mm. And both kids told the same story. 
They said they'd both seen their dad the night before. He was still up when Madeline went to bed. And Patrick said he saw his dad go to bed around 1130. That's so sad. But when they woke up the next morning, he just wasn't there. He was gone. Patrick just assumed he'd gone to work and he would texted his mom to let her know that they were there alone. What detectives knew and what Robin did not know yet was that early that morning before dawn and about 50 miles away, a Mennonite farmer had been out bicycling to work (laughs) and it was nothing but fields and woods on either side of this two lane country road that he was riding down. And on this ride to work, He noticed two cars parked near an intersection, and he rode on, not thinking much about it, but he got to work. On his way home, he'd seen a shovel on the side of the road, and Hmm. he stopped, and he noticed a trail of trampled grass that led about 50 feet into the woods. And so he followed the trail to a brown tarp near what looked to be an attempt at a grave dug. (gasps) And poking out from underneath the brown tarp, he could see a bare human foot. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So he called the police and deputies from the Yates County Sheriff's Office came out to take a look. They saw right away that it would be difficult to identify this person because his killers had used some kind of acid to, like, intentionally disfigure his face (gasps) and burn off his fingerprints. So dental killer or killers... No, they didn't pull his teeth out. His killer or killers definitely thought they were smart, but actually they were not. Because right then, while the investigators were standing there, they heard a cell phone ringing. Oh, my God. From underneath the tarp. There was a phone in the pocket of the body. And when they took the phone out of the pocket, they saw the name Robin Drew. On calling the Craig's sister calling. Mm-hmm. Why would you go through all the trouble of the acid mm-hmm. and not check pockets? Well, because they, well, someone had stolen his Blackberry, probably the same person that killed him or one of the same, and thought he didn't have a phone. This phone was a prepaid smartphone that Robin had bought for Craig right after his Blackberry had been stolen. A phone that Craig's killer clearly didn't, didn't know about. Know about. Prepaid phones, man. <laughs> They're handy. Lana? The autopsy on Craig's body showed that he'd been strangled and that he'd also suffered a fractured cheekbone and multiple cuts on his forehead and his cheek. They found that the disfigurement to his face and his fingerprints had happened after he had been killed. Thank God for that. It's He had to have been killed somewhere else and then taken to this grave. Yeah. Okay. Yes, that's what they're thinking. Because I just feel like there's not a struggle at this site because you're finding the phone, you know? Yeah, it was a dumping ground. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Finally, that night, police got their warrant to search Craig's townhome. And they were able to get into the bedroom, but there was nothing in there and it looked totally undisturbed. So they looked around the rest of the house and then they headed to the basement. And they noticed that on one side of the basement, everything was very neat and organized. Boxes were on shelves. Everything looked like it was in its place. The other side of the basement looked very messy and disheveled. But also, this was a basement. It didn't really seem like that was all that unusual. Mm -hmm. Go look at my garage, okay? (laughs) I will not. (laughs) But then 
they started looking more closely and they spotted blood spatter over the walls and the shelves. Can you remind the people what the difference in spatter and splatter is? One smaller. Blood blood splatter is smaller. Oh, spatter is bigger. I think spatter is bigger, but I'm only using that because it sounds like the word spatula, which is bigger (laughs) than splat. I don't know. (laughs) I don't remember. I know. I'm just going to Google. I want to know how much there was. Splatter. A spatter is the pattern of drops that results from spattering. To splatter means to scatter large particles of substances. A splatter is the pattern of drops that results from splattering. Okay, I'm going to be honest. I'm not really sure if this was spatter or splatter. Okay. There was blood on the walls and the shelves, like drops of blood. But then they, they sprayed the floor with luminol. And they found more blood that someone had clearly tried to wipe away. Oh, that's splattered just everywhere. Yeah. And then in a trash bag, they found what appeared to be a garrote, which is a weapon used for strangulation. But this was like a homemade garrote. It was basically like a homemade jump rope. There was like a cord connected with two handles made out of tape, like a blue tape, that could have been used as a ligature. Hmm. Police were pretty sure they had their murder scene and possibly their murder weapon. Robin, Craig's sister, she was waiting outside while police searched, and around 5 p.m., one of the investigators brought someone over to her and introduced them as their violent crime advocate. And Robin's heart just sank, and they told her that her brother Craig may have been the victim of a violent crime. May have been? They definitely know that he was. I don't think they have identified his body for sure yet Mm. and the blood is not enough to tell this family member like your family member is certainly murdered but i think they wanted to prepare her because he was certainly murdered they just Mm. couldn't say it yet you know yeah robin immediately told detectives anything she could think of that might help with this she told them about the break-in that had happened less than a week earlier She told them that Craig had been going through a nasty divorce for two years that was still not finalized and that Laura was now living with Craig's best friend, PJ Tucci. PJ. PJ. Then investigators got even more clues to this mystery. There were some people walking around Menden Ponds Park when they came to one of the ponds set deep in the park called Devil's Bathtub. The walkers had called police after seeing something they thought was suspicious. They saw a couple of guys sitting in a car in the parking lot of the park and then throwing out bags of garbage, like, into the pond. Like, real smart people. Yeah. Investigators on Craig's case had been called out because the two guys had been Colin and Alex Rideout, Craig's two oldest sons. So investigators' radars were up while they were talking to Colin and Alex, especially since Robin had told police that Craig had suspected one of his sons of the break-in at his house right before he died. Remember, that happened six days before he was murdered. Alex told the detectives, like, he didn't know why anyone would call the police on them. They were just walking around the park. But through their conversation, which is just informally happening at this park, you know, nobody's been Mirandized. (laughs) They're not at a station or anything. But the investigators see that Colin and Alex don't know that Craig's body had been found. And so they ask them what they think happened to their dad. 
And Alex told them that Craig was constantly threatening to just disappear. So he figured he was on his way to Mexico or something. And Colin told investigators that he'd heard from his dad on Monday and that he'd come to pick up his youngest brother and sister on Tuesday. And that was the last time he'd ever heard from him. And that was the Tuesday that Robin was trying to find him and called police. Right. So then Colin started telling investigators about the family dynamics. And he told them that he's been really worried about his dad for a while and that it seemed like he was on the verge of a mental breakdown. I don't want Colin to be the bad guy here. He's the oldest. What would give you that idea? Yeah, he's the oldest. The one that was like trying to be a Navy SEAL. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So then investigators turned to the trash bags that Colin and Alex had been throwing into the pond, and they asked them what was in the bag. And Colin literally tells them that he doesn't know what's in the bag. You just took that it they're and throwing, we're throwing into the pond. Right. Then Colin and Alex tell detectives that they'd been at their dad's house the day before and that there'd been a lot of blood in the basement. From what? They had just placed themselves at the scene of the crime and inside the garbage bags were bloody clothing, bloody sneakers, bloody work gloves. They had literally been caught red-handed trying to get rid of what was clearly evidence of a murder. Of their own dad. Uh. Yeah, and that wasn't all. Craig's own jeans were in one of the bags covered in blood, as were a pair of Laura's jeans. <gasps> a pair of sweatpants belonging to Alex, the second oldest, he, they were also in there, but had much less blood in them. How old them. is Alex? I know he's the same Like old. 19. Okay. So he's not like 16. No. Okay. I No. They're both adults. Mm-hmm. Colin and Alex told investigators that it was their mother, Laura, who had maybe eight. He might have been 18 at this time. Yeah. But Colin and Alex told investigators that it was their mother, Laura, who gave them the trash bags of bloody clothes. Colin said that Laura had asked him to go to his dad's house the day before and that he helped his mom and younger sister help clean up blood in the basement. And you didn't ask any questions. You didn't think that might have something to do with where your dad's at. Right. And then you know your dad's missing, but you think he went to Mexico after yeah. cleaning up all this blood in his basement, blood that you're now trying to throw away in the pond. Yeah. Why didn't you just go to an apartment complex's dumpster? Yeah. Like, or why are you throwing it in a pond? on fire. God. Or set it on fire. I thought oh, that man. the whole time. I, I thought that, that the, the whole last, time. Like five episodes. I'm like, why aren't people? Why are you not burning this clothes? Not that I'm trying to give give ideas to anybody. I know, but honestly, how hard is it? But that can't be like, we didn't come up with that. (laughs) I know, but what was the episode where I'm like, just set it on fire. Like, people are throwing things away. I'm like, yeah, literally, it's my first day here and I would set it on fire. (laughs) Yeah. So both Colin and Alex were arrested and charged with tampering with evidence while investigators continued to investigate and see if they could find enough evidence to charge them with murder. Murder. And investigators had already been looking into Laura, knowing how contentious this divorce and custody battle had been, but they really didn't know just how nasty it had gotten. They discovered that Laura and PJ were planning on moving from New York State, where they were living, where they were all living, down to North Carolina, and that they wanted to bring Patrick and Madeline with them. 
And like the plan had been to move in a few days, like a few days after Craig was murdered. And in the weeks and months leading up to the murder, Craig and Laura had been arguing about this move because Craig would not let Laura take the kids out of state. But Laura and PJ just went ahead and packed up a moving van and signed a lease on an apartment anyway. Dang. They were moving forward with this move. And so Laura started texting with Colin, and together they formed a plan to get Elizabeth and Julia, who are the two teenage sisters, the two oldest girls, a plan with them to, to act out so much that Craig would lose his temper and they planned to get Craig's reaction on video, and then they could call the police to accuse him of violence. They have this whole plan on text message. They have all the text messages of this plan. That's like and leaving this, a lot to like chance, like him, he's going to freak out. Like, right. And so this must have been when the girls were like trashing his house, you know, punching yeah. holes in the wall and breaking his stuff and breaking the light fixtures. Kids are wild. Yeah, Colin sent a text to his sisters saying, quote, tell them you're afraid your dad is going to kill your younger siblings when he gets home. He also texted them, quote, don't hesitate to call 911 if he's ever screaming, because that would play well in court. Oh, my God. I know. Like what? Like but, kids are like, I don't know, like who's I, doing yeah. this at like 16, 15. I know. I know. But Craig did not react angrily to the girl. Well, and that's the thing. Where did this idea really yeah. come from, well, do you think? From what's her face? L yeah. Laura. Laura. Craig didn't react angrily to the girls trashing his house. So their plan didn't work. So Colin started sending a series of angry emails to his dad, accusing him of being abusive and telling him that all of the tension in the family was his fault. Oh, my God. He said, quote, if you had any decency, you would end the divorce as soon as possible. Let my mother and especially Patrick and Madeline leave. Notice that every child who is old enough to choose has fled. Hmm. Ouch. Yeah, ouch. Colin accused Craig of being a chronic liar, dragging his mother through a contorted divorce while abusing the court system to try and retain control over her life. But like how? Now, In what way? Just the custody? Right, just I don't want her to take my kids out of state. Is that all? Because there were never any other details about what he was doing that was so egregious. I could right. not find anything that said, and maybe they said at court, it was hard for this one to find any sort of like official information about what was said at trial and like what was testified about. Because I couldn't find anything where he was more specific than this right. about what exactly he was accusing Craig of. And, you know, people can be very different behind closed doors right. than they are to people outside. But every person that knew Craig, that was friends with him, that worked with him, that his family members, like none of them, they all said that this must be made up. Like he was not abusive. They right. did say that Laura and Craig were kind of emotionally, mutually emotionally abusive to each, each other. other. But it Which wasn't is this not like one-sided like thing. Uncommon when people are getting a divorce. Like that's what you know. Like that's what. Yeah, I mean, you're fighting and yeah. you're being cruel to each other. And right. yeah, is she still this whole time living with PJ? Still. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They're gonna move to North Carolina together. Okay. I mean, I just like they're in it they're, to win it. Okay. Yeah. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Creepers. And then I look at how Craig responded to these really nasty emails from Colin. Yeah. This is how he responded. He said, quote, I enjoy talking with you and am generally proud of you as my son. I would like to think that you and I can have a relationship without all the BS and drama associated with your mother. Hmm. And Colin responded saying, quote, this is ridiculous. I am tired of your duplicity, your constant lying, and your disgusting attempts to keep my mother and siblings under your thumb. While you're maybe, quote, generally proud of me as your son, I am not at all proud of you as my father. The things you do, especially your actions during this divorce, are despicable. I love that he used duplicity. I know. That's a good word. And despicable. All in the same email. That email was sent four days before Craig's murder. And again, I, I don't have any other details about what actions he did that were disgusting or despicable. Like what he was, besides just stopping the custody. Laura and PJ right. from taking his and like all this anger towards your dad, none for your mom who's like moved in with his best friend. Yeah. You're just like putting it all on Craig to be per I don't know. And again, I just don't have enough information on what he's talking about, what abuse this is. Like so I find it hard to like form an opinion because I just don't Yeah. No. So after they'd arrested the boys. Sorry. So after the investigators had arrested Colin and Alex, they headed over to Laura and PJ's house and they arrested Laura. And PJ said he was completely shocked. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And Laura asked them what they were arresting her for. And the cops are like, you had to have been expecting this. Right. And Laura said if she'd been expecting it, she would have had makeup on. (laughs) Okay, Louise. PJ said he thought this must be a mistake. He said Laura didn't have any animosity towards Craig. But I'm sorry, divorce decrees don't forbid exes to have no contact at drop off if there's no animosity there. I can't believe what she said. I would have had my makeup done. 
I would have my makeup done if I knew you were coming. And PJ's like, yeah, there was no animosity from Laura had no animosity towards Craig. But Colin has all this hatred towards him in these emails. That's not coming from Laura at all. And their divorce says no contact. PJ, I'm out on you because you have no loyalty, my man, because you're not Mm -hmm. even concerned that your friend is dead. Mm -hmm. Like your only concern is his wife, ex-wife. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if he was concerned. I think he, I, like, he did say, because he was in this episode of Dateline, and I think he did say at the end, you know, it is sad. There was a murder that happened here. He just thinks people got it wrong, but mm. we'll get there. And anyways, I think those emails between Colin and Craig are definite proof that there was animosity. animosity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so deputies... <laughs> Right. I tell you that my mom does that. She like when I was growing up, if there was like really Is she bad friend Drescher. No, but <laughs> if there was really bad weather, like if there was gonna be a tornado, she would like do her hair and makeup in case, you know, they had Well to Fran Dr- Fran on the nanny, yeah. she would go to bed with a full face of makeup in case the firefighters came. Yeah. <laughs> in the middle Basically, of the night. Yeah, that's her. Yep. <laughs> so deputies searched Laura and PJ's house, and they were able to find bits of incriminating evidence supporting Laura being involved in Craig's murder. Bits. They found a key fob to Craig's car in the master bedroom. That seems. In another bedroom, they found blue tape that matched the tape used to make the handles of that garage found in Craig's basement. That's not swaying me as much as the key fob. And all the bloody clothes, you know. Yeah, the clothes really got me in. I don't know what's yeah. in the bag. I don't know what's in the bag. That My mom weird. just handed them to me and told me to dump them in a pond <laughs> yeah. on like national state park property. Instead of burn them. Instead so. of burn them. <laughs> PJ said he was at home with Laura when Craig was killed. And this alibi really did not bode well for PJ since investigators were certain that Laura was involved. So PJ was arrested too. Colin, Alex, Laura, and PJ were, yeah. (laughs) Colin, Alex, Laura, and PJ were all let out on bail, and they were all only charged with evidence tampering while the police tried to figure out what had actually happened here. They were certain that at least one of them was responsible for the actual murder, had been the murderer. Yeah. But was this a crime of passion, and then the others had helped in covering it up? Or was this a conspiracy, like a planned murder and cover-up? Well, this text. Yeah, but the texts were just about, like, trying to get custody away from him. Yeah, but it still and, like, feels stage, very, like, like arguments. planned. Like, mm-hmm. like, I don't feel like they like, just, like... Like, everything else was planned. Yeah. And you're going to tell me this was a crime of passion when yeah. you were planning to get else. him, like, a temper, to show a temper? Yeah. So investigators found video from Walmart two days before the murder. And in this video, there's Colin, Laura, and one of the teenage daughters buying drain cleaner that investigators thought was what was used to disfigure Craig's face. Oh, my gosh. And then the next day at a different Walmart, Laura and PJ are on video buying a large tarp, a bungee cord, and even more drain cleaner. Wow. The tarp and bungee cords matched the ones found on Craig's body. And then the day of the murder, Colin was caught on video buying a shovel that matched the shovel found by the side of the road near where Craig's body was found. These people are heinous. 
and amateurs. Heinous amateurs. Yeah. So investigators are forming a theory of what they think happened to Craig. They believe that the two youngest kids were brought over to Craig's house that night. Then either Laura or PJ went up to Craig's room to talk to him, maybe about that move to North Carolina that was set to happen in just a few days. Investigators think it was Laura that got him to come down to the basement. And they believe that it was in that basement that Craig's own family and possibly also his former best friend were there to kill him. Like they like they all like the, jumped him? Well, they think the plan was to kill him with the garrote so that there would be no blood. But their plan went awry when Craig started to fight back. So then one of them hit him over the head during the struggle. And that's where all the blood came from. So that's kind of their theory from piecing together the evidence. Huh. But they still don't know, like, which one had the final blow. You know, I mean, yeah. it's impossible to prove that. So the trial began in the summer of 2017 when all four of them would be defending themselves against second degree murder charges. And they would all be tried at the same time in the same trial, which what? was highly unusual. Yeah. And this is really weird because, or unusual, and I mean, they just don't do it like this because when you're hearing evidence against one defendant, it's going to sway you more. Right. Like, look at Alex and PJ, I guess, who don't have quite as much evidence against them as, like, Colin and Laura. Yeah. But you hear all this evidence against Colin and Laura, and you're going to be, a like, it's going to bias you against the other two that are on trial. You know, it's, so it's just like, Right, oh, you're hearing it all. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it would just be confusing, too. As it would also be very confusing. Yeah. So they each had their own attorney, and all of the attorneys were arguing that the prosecution had no idea what really happened, and they're just pointing the blame at all the other defendants. Like, my guy didn't do it. It was all these other guys right. that did it. And here's why. And the prosecutors said, yeah, they're right. No, we don't know which of them gave the final blow. But what we do know is that all of them are responsible for Craig Rideout's death. Right. And that was why they were going with second degree murder charges, because they just couldn't prove who had done it. Mm -hmm. With second degree murder, you don't have to be the one doing the actual killing to be held responsible for the murder. In the Dateline episode, they explained it using a bank robbery example. The guy sitting in the car as the getaway driver is just as responsible as the guys in the bank. However, they could not be found guilty of second degree murder based solely on their actions after the murder. Mm. Knowingly hiding evidence would not make them guilty of murder, just of tampering with evidence. So they would need to prove that each defendant could be considered an accomplice to the actual murder. And it was totally like that's outrageous. Easy. That, that part seems easy to me, with, especially with the footage. Maybe... Of Colin, Alex isn't on the footage anywhere. PJ's there buying a tarp and something, but that's but he's with Laura and could easily explain that that was being bought for the move that they were uh, about to take. Yeah. That or that's what he thought, you know. Mm -hmm. Colin and Laura, yeah, it'll be pretty easy. They've got a lot of evidence against them. Alex and PJ are harder, and it was totally outrageous. But they were going to have to prove that a mother 
could conspire with her sons to kill their father. You know, I normally I'd be with you, but I feel like we're like episode one, whatever over here, 120, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And oh, how about like, I think like I 105 like, or something? <laughs> feels a lot more than that with bonus <laughs> content. But well, yeah, throw in the bonus episodes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about the stories of like the mom trying to kill the daughters or I mean, mm-hmm. it. Yeah, there is no. Yeah, but those stories are outrageous because they are outrageous, you know, like because it, that's that's not how it su- should be. Yeah. Especially over something like this where it's not like a Gypsy Rose Blanchard case where you were like heavily abused your whole life. I mean, Colin is trying to say that they were, but I haven't heard from any of the other kids. They I were don't... married for a long time. Like, were you in love? Yeah, like 20 years. Yeah. Oh my gosh. 21 years. So over four weeks, the prosecution presented more than 700 pieces of evidence. The bloody clothes that proved that at the very least, Colin and Laura were present for the murder. Yeah. The surveillance video from Walmart, they said, proved that this was premeditated and planned. They showed that DNA from all four of them was found inside those trash bags with the evidence from the scene of the crime. What the jury never saw was the emails and text messages from Colin because the evidence was thrown out because they couldn't prove it was actually Colin who had written it. Mm. They also didn't play the video from the police's little chat with Colin and Alex at the park because yeah. neither were read their Miranda rights before saying what they said. So mm-hmm. they couldn't use that at all. How are we still doing that? Okay. Well, I, you know, I think that they were just kind of trying to feel it out and see what it was. They didn't know that they were going to be like, yeah, my mom told me to throw out all this bloody clothes. You're you like, know? wait like, one second. You have the right to remain silent. <laughs> then you're like, can you repeat that? Now, can you repeat that? <laughs> right. Exactly. I know. Then the defense attorneys began and they said that the tarp, drain cleaner and bungee cords were all purchased to prepare for their move to North Carolina. The drain cleaner was purchased to unclog the drains. PJ went on and on about how there were so many teenage girls and Ugh, women living in this bleh, house that were know. clogging blah, up blah, drains. Blah, blah. You know, I can't <laughs> that. But they found like five to six bottles of drain cleaner in those black trash bags. Five I mean, to six bottles. It does take a full bottle to get. I mean, you can ask RPW. He's on the drain duty around here. But uh-huh. six. I'm not buying it. Six? Six? Yeah, I was going to say, sure, one. Or two, I wouldn't even think was weird. Three, you're pushing it. Six, get out of here. Get out of here. Also, that is a no lot one's of moving drain cleaner. and cleaning out the drains. Okay, you're not doing I, that's that. That's what I was thinking, too. You're about to move in two days, but you're going to unclog your drains. Like, that's yeah. top of your priority list? Getting yeah, yeah. all this drain cleaner? Yeah. Yeah. So Ugh, Alex's attorney blamed Colin and Laura. Colin's attorney blamed Laura. Laura's attorney blamed Colin. And PJ's attorney said, hey, there's all this evidence connecting those three to the scene, but not my guy. My guy wasn't involved. I mean, that's why this is so crazy. And is PJ like, Mm -hmm. now it's every man for himself? You're not worried about Laura? I mean, he doesn't have, he can't save her. There's nothing he can say to like save. I mean, he does say, I was with her and I don't think she did this. Like, I think she's totally innocent. I was with her. Yeah. But Colin's attorney was going for evidence tampering charges. He wanted to just get the evidence tampering, not the murder. 
And he was saying that Laura killed Craig, that she was the one with the motive. She was the one getting divorced. She was the one trying to take her kids and move to another state. He said that Laura killed Craig and then asked her son, Colin, to help dispose of his body and help clean up the crime scene. He said Colin's blood-soaked jeans were a result of the cleanup, not the murder. Still a problem, my man. Still still concerning. Mm-hmm. But sure. Yes. Yes, agreed. Definitely still a problem, but also not murder. And also to me, that just makes more sense that it's Laura and PJ down there killing Craig. Mm-hmm. Or maybe PJ is not there. I don't know. And I don't know how Laura would do it by herself. Yeah. You know, Craig's not like a small guy. Like, I don't know. And Laura's, she's small. I mean, she's she petite. petite. Yeah. Petite. But I don't know. Maybe she does like Pilates. Maybe yeah, she well, like, you know? works out. Like, I don't know. I mean, she, she might have that core strength that Craig does not have uh, and the upper, <laughs> upper body strength. You know what? Pull up a photo. Let's uh, do their athletic assessments now. Yeah. Yeah, we should. They also spent a lot of time attacking the DNA evidence that the prosecution had brought forward. The DNA from all four of the defendants were found on items in those garbage bags, but they all lived in the same yeah, house that do along with 10 for me. Yeah, and They're all along related. with 10 other people. Yeah, they yeah. all share DNA. The house was cluttered and untidy because of the upcoming move, so there was just stuff everywhere, and DNA could easily have moved around in that area, so yeah, like they're and, in each other's that, cars. They're wearing, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's yeah. like, OK, all four of their DNA was found in the trash bags. But how many other of those people living in that house were also yeah. found somewhere in that trash bag? I bet like a lot of other people, too. And that's like all they really had on PJ was like the DNA in the trash bag. Yeah. So the jury deliberated for five days and then came back with four verdicts. Alex was acquitted on second-degree murder charges, but yeah. guilty of tampering with evidence. Colin was found guilty of second-degree murder and evidence tampering. Laura was found guilty of second-degree murder. And PJ Tucci was acquitted of all charges. Oh, wow. But there just wasn't anything on him. Yeah. Like, I think we can all kind of suspect that it's he was like involved PJ- more than he's saying, but... What were you doing, though? Like. You just got yourself all wrapped up. Like, you let this woman move in, and then the next Mm -hmm. thing you know, you're on trial for murder. Yeah. And he's the only one walking out the door a free man. Well, him and Alex. Laura. No, no. He got the tampering. Yeah. Laura and Colin were both sentenced to 25 years to life. (gasps) Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alex was sentenced to a maximum of eight years, and they're all appealing their conviction sorry i feel like that's a lot i mean i'm fine with that but i feel like we just had some case not too long ago where they got like the guy the guy on the bonus episode that the mary vincent episode that got eight years for chopping off a girl's arm and now we got a guy throwing Mm -hmm. a trash a kid basically throwing a trash kid a kid throwing a trash bag and got the same amount of time well that's the maximum i actually don't know how much time he served but still i don't think he's he might still be in jail i'm not sure And PJ was totally free, you know, but prosecutors say they're certain that he got away with murder. And PJ says he's certain that he and Laura didn't do it. And I didn't write this Is he still visiting Laura? Like, are they still together? I don't know. That's a good question. I doubt it. I doubt it. But Colin said in an article that 
he feels totally betrayed by his mom and that he thinks she framed him for all of this. He thinks that that's why she had him buy that shovel and then she just left it lying on the side of the road for that biker to find because she knew that it would trace back to him because he was the one that bought it at Walmart. I mean, I definitely think that he was involved and I think he thought that there would be a bit more loyalty from her for Mm -hmm. him doing this for her. He, I don't know, he just seems very close to his mom, like before, like very, like on her side. Protective, yeah. And protective, yeah. And then just felt like total slap in the face, like she framed me for all of this or set him up for all of this. And like, it's gonna be shocking. I can't imagine, like, your dad's dead, you've murdered him. Mm-hmm. And right. then your or you didn't, and You've lost your dad and your mom's framed you. Like you have no right family. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. God, I understand that. I just truly cannot. No, I know. It's wild. Oh. And that's every time the my family of Craig Rideout. Every time my family wears me out, I need to remember that I've never, like, you know, been accused of <laughs> Like I'm like, why is my family like gotta be so truly crazy? wanted to murder them? Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, you know what? They're not so bad. They're not so bad. Well, do we have any shout outs? Oh, by golly. Shout out time. It's been so long. Shout out time. I know. Sure. Let me check. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. Oh, good. I'll start. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited for shout outs. Yay. I've got a familiar face on here. Familiar names. Two of Louisville's finest VIPs. When I tell you these people are king and queen of the city. Major shouts to Chelsea and Jarizzle Bizzle. (laughs) Wait, hold on. Jarizzle Bizzle. Wow. (laughs) I won't out your real names. But you know who you are, and you made that choice there. <laughs> the king and queen of Louisville. And yeah. then you also know the president of Pasadena. So. I do. I do. Yeah, kind of a big deal. Well, big thanks to Betsy Beckham. And Betsy, are you the Betsy that posted and said, hey, I'm an Elizabeth that goes by Betsy. Is that you? When we talked about that at our last uh not our last episode, an episode from forever ago. Betsy bend it like Beckham, girl. Oh, I do love that movie. I've never seen it, obviously. Oh, it's good. Major, major shouts to Tiana. Like, like the, the princess. P- what princess? Tiana. Who's that? The princess and the frog. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Like a Disney? Yeah. There. yeah mm-hmm. Oh. Disney princess. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that story. Uh, Tiana. Princess Tiana. Mm-hmm. Big thanks. To Shailene Johnson. Shailene. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, Shailene. Shailene, I feel like you did pageants too. (laughs) Tell me, Shailene. Well, thank you so much. And if you have not heard your shout out yet, don't worry. It'll be coming up on a future episode. Thank you to all of our patrons. If you would like a shout out, you can sign up on patreon.com slash Creepers. Uh, you get your shout out at any level, but you've got to fill out the form on the Patreon. So make sure you do that. And thank you so much for listening. And if you want to support the podcast, you can do that on 
uh, by following us on social media at Creepers Pod on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. I tweeted. So go check us out over there and be sure to subscribe so that you will be notified exactly when our next episode drops. When I will tell Mogab another wild story. Feel free to slide some Valentine's Day cards in the P.O. box too. <laughs> Bye, peeps and creeps.